Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 8. And as you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, I just kind of echo the things that Ben mentioned earlier and, and Bill prayed for. Uh, those, I encourage you to thank a veteran today. Those who have served our country are fulfilling one of the God's mandated tasks for the government to protect its people. And the men and women who have uh, served, that are part of our church, have worn the uniform, are, are part of that task of the government fulfilling its mandate to protect its people. So uh, be sure to, to thank them and appreciate them for the work that they've done. Also this morning is the, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And today is a day that those of us who are believers in, uh, oftentimes in, in safe, uh, what we call it, safe countries like the United States, Remember our brothers and sisters in Christ who are not in safe areas, who are being persecuted for their faith. And as you trust you're, you're turning to Luke chapter 8, but let me read you a passage from Hebrews 11. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the persecution that, that some endured and how uh, faith caused these people to persevere in the midst of tough circumstances and how faith has done amazing things. And then uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, uh, verse starting verse uh, 35, the last part of 35 in Hebrews 11, the writer says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And then the writer of Hebrews says, uh, Of whom the world was not worthy. These men and women who pursued Jesus Christ in the midst of persecution, the writer of Hebrews says, were men and women of whom the world was not worthy. Now, does this mean these were just super-duper people and the, the, the ground they touched wasn't even worthy of, of holding them? No. What I believe it says is this. The faith that they proclaimed was of such a nature that the world demonstrated it wasn't worthy of having this faith proclaimed to them. This message, the proclamation of the, the faith that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ was so profound through their, their testimony that the world wasn't worthy of it. Our brothers and sisters around the world are facing imprisonment, torture, loss of financial, uh, financial gain, uh, sometimes even their very lives as a result of boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. The world isn't worthy of such a bold proclamation of Christ. May you and I be faithful to pray today for our brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution, and may we be encouraged by their faith. Well, please stand with me, and let's read Luke chapter 8 together. Remember, we're looking at the parable of the sower and these seeds, this, the word of God that he casts, and these four different types of soil that the seed falls upon. And we're going to read the first 15 verses of this larger section of Luke chapter 8 this morning together. First one, Luke chapter 8, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Soon afterwards, he, that is Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Verse five, 4. 
And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for those that fell and for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear But as they go on their way, they are choked up. They're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. May we be strengthened and encouraged by God's word this morning. You may be seated. And Father, this morning we pray that our hearts would be the the hearts on good soil that receive your word this morning and and bear fruit. As we pray, we first, again, thank you for the men and women in our church who have served our country. We pray that you'd cause our country to to pursue righteousness, that as it protects its citizens, it would do so in a a God-honoring way. We pray that you would give those who are in authority in our country great wisdom. We pray that you would Bless those uh, this week who have been thinking about loved ones who have served our country and are no longer with us. And we pray that you would sustain uh, those families by your grace. And Father, as as, uh, Bill mentioned this morning, there is a spiritual conflict in the world as well. And this spiritual conflict that exists in the world has real casualties. People who are suffering because of their faith in you. And Father, we know that that is not outside of your control, that you are a sovereign God who has appointed this for them. And, and Father, we only pray that your name would be glorified as they continue to be faithful to proclaim your name. And we pray that we would be faithful to proclaim your name, that we would not be the, the, the soil that's represented by the rocky soil this morning, but that as persecutions and difficulties enter our life, we would be bold proclaimers of our faith in you, bold proclaimers of your son, Jesus Christ, We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. It was a wet, rainy Saturday morning a few weeks ago, and Whitney was looking out our kitchen window, and she said, "Uh, Daniel, there's some big black lump in our yard. What is that? And I went over to the back window and looked at it with her, and I said, "Uh, sweetie, I have no idea what that is, but once it stops raining, I'll go out there and, and inspect it. And she said, sounds like a great idea. And so we continued on our Saturday morning activities. And a few minutes later, she was walking by one of our front windows. And she looked out the front window, and she saw the curb. 
and she saw this little stump sticking out of the ground near the curb, and she said, Daniel, I, I know what that is. In the backyard, that's our mailbox. I said, good job. And so I uh, went out the back door, and I went into the lawn, and, and sure enough, it's our mailbox there in our back, which isn't where I left it, but uh, there it is nonetheless. And so I, I pick it up, and I start taking it in the front yard, and I, I realize, you know, I shouldn't be surprised by this. Several years ago, I had installed this mailbox, and what had happened is it had been a, a cold Saturday in December, and I was putting the mailbox together, and, you know, I put the little mailbox on this little plastic stand, and then I got to the part of the instructions that kind of gave a detailed account of what you should do next. And it involved a post, and it involved digging a hole a certain depth, and a lot of things that I really wasn't interested in doing at the time. It was cold, as I mentioned, I mentioned it was cold. Uh, I'm from Texas, and I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna get a, a temporary thing here, stick a couple two by fours in the ground, and nail it to that, and then whenever, you know, a couple weeks from now when it's warmer, I don't know, uh, the spring, I'll do this thing right. Well, a few weeks ago, the winds come, the rain hits just right, perhaps some punk neighborhood kid pushed against it just the perfect way, and uh, all of a sudden, the next thing I know, my <coughs> mailbox is in our backyard, and my poor workmanship is on display for the entire neighborhood to see. Now, if you had gone down our neighborhood street several months ago and had looked at my mailbox and my neighbor's mailbox and my neighbor's neighbor's mailbox, they all looked kind of the same in terms of them being attached to the ground, right? Now, mine might have leaned a little bit more than theirs, but essentially, they all looked like mailboxes. But when the wind came, the rains came, that neighborhood kid shoved it just right, boom, it's gone, and that poor foundation was exposed. Every life has suffering and difficulty in it. Every life has the rains, the winds, the storms, the punk neighborhood kids. I don't know for sure a neighborhood kid did it. I have suspicions, but I don't know. Maybe one of my kids. Um, every life has those things that take place within it, right? But for the one who has professed faith in Jesus Christ, sufferings and trials, and especially persecutions, take on a new meaning, for the one who has professed faith in Jesus Christ, those persecutions, those times of suffering, those times of trial, reveal something about the condition of our heart. Times of persecution, times of trial, times of winds and gusts in life provide an amazing insight into the foundation of our faith, the quality of our faith. Last week, we began looking at the parable of the sower. And what we saw in this parable is a farmer going out, scattering his seed, and this, this seed falling on four different types of soil. There was a pathway, there was a rocky soil, there was a soil that contained some thorns, and then there was a good soil. And what Jesus told us, we saw last week, is that each of these soils represents a human heart, a condition of a human heart. And the seed represents the Word of God. And so the Word of God hits these human hearts, and we respond in different ways. And last week we saw that some people, as they hear the Word of God, they have these hard, unrepentant hearts. And so as the gospel message is proclaimed to these people, there's no faith that accompanies that message. They don't understand it. They don't really hear it in a sense of 
comprehension, and because of their hardened hearts, the enemy is able to snatch that word of God away from them, and so nothing happens. This morning, we're looking at a heart that hears the word of God, and yet the response that this heart has in times of trials and difficulties and persecution reveals something about the quality of the way in which they heard that message. Something about the nature of their faith. Let me give you an example. Some of you in here this morning are a little bit younger. You haven't reached uh, adulthood yet. And maybe some of you who are younger, at some point in your life, have, have made a profession of believing in Jesus. Maybe you're at Awana, and the, the teacher asked you if you wanted to pray a prayer and believe in Jesus, or maybe you're at a vacation Bible school, or maybe you're with your mom and dad. At some point, someone said, do you want to believe in Jesus? You said, yes, I do, and you responded to the, the good news of Jesus. Now, even though you're young, at some point in your life, there's going to be a moment where you have to make a decision. Am I going to continue to follow after Jesus, or am I going to choose to not follow after Jesus? Maybe you're going to hit junior high, and there's going to be these, these kids that all the other kids like, and they're, they're really cool kids, and you say, I want to be a, a part of that group, and these kids are going to tell you, look, if you want to, to be with us, hang out with us, and be our friends, here's the way that we live our lives. This is the way that we talk, this is the way that we dress, these are the things that we do, and as you look at the things that they say and do and the way that they live, you say, you know what, that's contrary to how mom and dad have told me I should live, and what's more important, that's different from what the Bible says that I should do and how I should live my life and what a follower of Jesus looks like. And at that moment, guys, you're going to have to make a decision. Do I want to continue to follow after Jesus and pursue him, or do I want to not follow after Jesus? That decision you make at that point in time is going to reveal something about the condition of your heart, the condition of your faith. Now, I'm not talking about one or two instances of disobedience. I'm talking about a decision of how you're going to live your life. And that decision you make at that point in time isn't the only time you're going to have to make that decision. Mom and dad, older people, grandma and grandpa are constantly have to, having to make that decision. Mom and dad in the workplace, having an employer tell them, hey, this is the way we want you to live. And, and mom and dad said, well, this is the way that Jesus wants me to live and, and having to make that decision. The way that we respond as Christians to the trials in life, or the way that we respond as professing Christians to the trials of life, reveals something about the condition of our heart. And what I want to do this morning as we look at this second soil, the heart represented by this second soil, is look at, first of all, some characteristics, three characteristics of the rocky heart, and then look at three applications. Let's look, first of all, at three characteristics of the rocky heart. The first characteristic of this rocky heart is that this heart initially receives God's word with joy. Remember what verse 6 told us about this, this seed and this soil as it responds to the seed. Verse 6 says the seed falls on the rock, it grows up, and it withered away because it had no moisture. And what the picture there is, remember this is the, the time where there isn't the, the John Deere tractor and the precision planting equipment and stuff. This farmer just takes out the seed and scatters it, hoping that it hits the, the right soil. The, some of the soil falls on the path, and this second soil hits this rocky soil. And what would happen is there would be this thin layer of soil, 
And then right underneath that thin layer of soil, there'd be this, this rock, maybe this limestone or something. And so the, the seed falls into that soil. It's pl- it com- goes underneath the soil, but it, it tries to grow roots, and it's not able to do so. And then as it begins to, to get hot, and there's no ability of that root structure to gain moisture and nutrients from the soil, and so this, this seed, never, no, no, nothing ever happens with it. It bears no fruit. Then Jesus gives us the explanation of that heart that's represented by that soil in verse 13. And the first thing he tells us is that the ones on the rock are those who hear the word and receive it with joy. In other words, like the first seed, like the first soil, they hear the word. Now these, not not only do they hear the word of God, but there seems to be some sort of comprehension involved in understanding the word of God. Jesus comes, he proclaims the coming kingdom, he proclaims their need to turn from their sin and turn to faith in him. They hear that general message and they understand what that means. They understand what Jesus is saying. So they comprehend it. Not only do they they comprehend it, they receive it. And that word receive carries with it the idea that they accept that what Jesus says is true. So for example, in Acts chapter 8, Luke uses the same term of receiving the word when he talks about the people in Samaria. It says the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, and so they sent to them Peter and John. Uh, Acts chapter 11, uh, Luke uses this term again in verse 1 of Acts chapter 11. It says the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And so Luke often uses this phrase, receive the word, to describe a person who hears God's word and accepts it as true. So the people that are represented by this second soil hear God's word, they believe it's true, and not only do they believe it's true, but there's some sort of emotional reaction. They have a positive response that that impacts their emotional state. They receive it with great joy. Whenever I'm about to surprise my kids with with something good, I get kind of excited. So maybe I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them, we're going someplace special, we're going to watch a movie together as a family, or maybe we're going to go to McDonald's. And so I, I come to my kids and I say, hey guys, we're going we're gonna to go to McDonald's and, and you guys can look at other people eating ice cream. And uh, as they hear that message of what we're going to do, this exciting thing that we're going to do, there's, those things happen. They hear what I'm saying, they believe that it's true, and then they have this emotional reaction to what I'm saying. All right, we're going to go to McDonald's. That's the characteristic, the first characteristic of this heart that's represented by the second soil. They receive, initially, God's word with joy. But then we see this second characteristic. This heart, we see, never grows any stronger. Jesus says that they receive it with joy, but they have no root. No root structures develop. The root structure of these plants, this grain, would would sometimes go like six feet deep and, and stretch out wide and be able to receive nutrients from the soil and the moisture that it needed to survive. This root structure never develops. It hits this, this rock and its growth is thwarted. There's no growth that occurs here in this heart. It has no real connection with Christ. That brings us to the third characteristic then. This heart initially receives God's word with joy. It never grows stronger than thirdly. This heart withers when it's tested. Jesus says that it believes for a while. Interesting qualification there. Believes for a while. And then he says, 
there comes this time of testing, and in that time of testing, this heart falls away. There's this temporary assent to the message. It hears this good news of Jesus. It says that I hear that, I understand that, that sounds good, that sounds very interesting. I, I like this life that Jesus offers, this coming kingdom of God, sounds really good. Sign me up, I'd like to participate in that. And it gets excited about that, but then there comes this moment of testing, this time of trial, and it, it withers away, it evaporates. Maybe you've heard the old uh, joke, um, how many pastors does it take to change a light bulb? Um, I don't really know what the punchline is. I've never been able to successfully change a light bulb, so once I find out, I'll let you know. I'm being somewhat serious. Uh, every time I change a light bulb, it seems I end up changing the entire light fixture. Uh, I'll start unscrewing the light bulb, and the light bulb will break, and then I start to, to uh, this happened just a few months ago, we're changing this light bulb, and I begin to, to uh, I turned off the power, and uh, to the light fixture, and then I, you know, stick some pliers up there, and I'm kind of slowly trying to get the rest of that light bulb out, and as I'm, I'm turning the light bulb, the, 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 the part that holds the light in just begins to disintegrate, and before I know it, this light fixture has disintegrated in my hands. It, it withered away. It, it no longer was there. Pray for my wife. <laughs> the light, the, the believer, the person who's professing faith in Jesus Christ in this second soil, hits this time of, trust, uh, of testing, this, this pressure, outside pressure comes against it, and it's, it's just gone. It withers away. It crumbles away. There's nothing to it substantial. A few, uh, this last week I was in the car, and I was listening to the radio, and I, I got home, and I, I told Whitney, I said, uh, Whitney, I, I've decided I want to learn to play a musical instrument. Now, I, I play no musical instrument at the moment, but I, I said, I'd like to learn to play a musical instrument. And she said, what musical instrument would you like to play? I said, I'm embarrassed to tell you because you're going to laugh at me. She said, sweetie, I'm your wife. I love you. I encourage you. I'm not going to laugh. I said, I would like to learn to play the ukulele. And she began to laugh at me. <laughs> I said, I, you know, every song I've heard with the ukulele, I, I've liked at least the ukulele. I, I, I think I would like to, I'm really excited about this. She said, oh, okay. Friday night, we're out on a date, and uh, we are uh, at Sonic and getting something kind of sweet after our date, and uh, then we're right next to a, a musical place to buy some musical instruments, and I said, let's, let's go in there. Now, I would never buy a musical instrument from this place. I would always go to Josh Urban at Kidder Music for all my musical needs. <laughs> but let's just look. No problem looking at this place. And so I, I walk into this, this, uh, this, this business that I'm sure is a very fine establishment, but it's not Kidder Music. And so I walk into this place, and I uh, look at the ukuleles, <laughs> And I realized I know nothing about music. I know nothing about ukuleles. And my desire to play the ukulele crumbled like a light fixture in my hands, okay? I realized I don't have time to learn how to, to play this instrument. What happened? Now, I had this nice, it seemed like a nice idea. I, I imagined myself playing with the worship team sometimes for special songs. But in that time, that time of just initial testing, a little testing, it's gone. Forget about it. Didn't even hold one in my hand, right? What is happening here with the second soil is it's a person who's excited about this gospel message. It sound, the kingdom of God sounds like this great deal, but then no growth ever occurs. And as no growth ever occurs, 
this time of testing comes, there's been no root developed, and, and the time of testing causes this person to just wither away. So here's the question. If you're saying this kind of looks like me, or it looks like my children, or it looks like my friend, what does this say about your spiritual condition? Some people have said, well, this second soil represents a believer. This represents a believer who uh, suffers loss of reward. That is, they're not really a, they're, they're a Christian, but uh, this falling away doesn't refer to, lose, to losing one's salvation. This falling away doesn't refer to eternal separation from God. This falling away just represents loss of reward in heaven. In fact, I was at a church in Texas on staff that, that I found out believed this position. I went to a conference with the pastor, and we heard a a person give a, a talk on the parable of the sowers, and they said this about the second soil, and I thought, wow, I am in the wrong church. <laughs> and I became uh, convicted that I, I needed to leave. Largely, uh, one, of the, one of the largest things was the, their understanding of this, of this second soil heart. Here's what I believe one of the primary problems with that terp- interpretation is, is it doesn't recognize the seriousness of falling away. That phrase, falling away, is a very serious phrase. And it refers to more than simply losing some rewards in heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul uses that phrase. He says, uh, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, that's the same word, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's a serious falling away, and that's not a person you can expect to worship God in eternity. That's a person who's fallen away. They're removed from the faith. They're not part of God's family. Hebrews talks about this, uses this this phrase as well in Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but instead exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then he talks about uh, we have, we've come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence to the end. And then he talks about how some were unable to enter God's rest because of their unbelief. This, this second soil heart, this hard heart, some people say, well, maybe this is a believer who simply falls away in the sense of losing some reward. That doesn't take seriously enough what it means to fall away. The person who falls away is a person who no longer has any confidence of, of worshiping God forever and eternity. This is a person who's in line of God's eternal wrath. This is a person who doesn't enter God's, ra- enter, enter God's rest because of unbelief, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 3. This is a serious, serious problem that a person finds themselves in if their heart is the heart of the second soil. So some have said this is a believer who just simply loses reward. Others have said, no, this is a believer who loses their salvation. That's another option that people have, have put forth is what this represents. Uh, some say, well, this is a, a believer who loses their salvation. They point to the text and they say, look, this is a person, Jesus tells us, who believes. This is a person who receives the word. And so they say, this is a person who uh, is a Christian. And then at least they appreciate what it means to fall away. And they say, so that's a person who is a Christian and then falls away. That is, they lose their salvation. Now, what I would say in response to that is I, I disagree. 
there's an interesting qualifier used to describe their belief. Jesus says this is a temporary faith. Oftentimes in Luke, whenever Jesus talks about genuine faith, he talks about genuine faith in the, in the context of what the genuine faith produces. Faith often causes people to, to receive God's blessing and receive God's reward. This isn't biblical faith. This is a, a false, temporary faith. It says in verse 13, it's, they receive it with joy, they believe for a while. It's, it's temporary. This person, this person also, we see, uh, is a person who uh, has great joy, but there's no ultimate follow-through with that initial joy that they possess. So some people say, well, this is a person who loses their salvation. I don't think that's, that's the case, first of all, because of the qualifier Jesus use, uses to describe this belief, but also because of what other scripture tells us about a person who truly places their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians 1.6 is a great passage that refers to this. In Philippians chapter 1.6, Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so if this were a person who, whose, God work, whose uh, heart God had really begun to work in, we could be confident that, they would, that God would complete that work until the day of salvation. That brings us to the third option. The third option, and, and this is the option, obviously, that I would agree with as we think about the spiritual state of this person. This person is a person who was never saved to begin with. They appreciated the gospel message. They got excited about the gospel message, but they never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple reasons that I believe that. First of all, there are other scripture passages that confirm that not all who claim identity with Christ are, in fact, Christians. Matthew 7, Jesus says that many are going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, look, I don't know who you are. That's a reality, that not everyone who professes the name of Jesus Christ is, in fact, a Christian. We also, we also know that from 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19, the Apostle John is, is writing about some people who have left the faith, and he says this in verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they, are not, they all are not of us. And so a person leaving the faith indicates that they weren't truly a part of us to begin with. So, this person is a person who is not a believer. One reason we see that is because uh, other scripture passages confirm that not all who claim identity with Christ are in fact Christians. Uh, secondly, I would say another reason to believe that these people were never saved is that believers, those who have truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ, are secure in Christ, not on the basis of their own works, but on the basis of Christ's continued work in their lives. John chapter 10 is a passage that tells us this. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this in verse 27. He says, my, in fact, let me go earlier. In verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hands. That's a very important passage, John chapter 10, especially verses 27 and 28. The person who receives, who believes in Jesus, receives eternal life. And once a person receives eternal life, what does Jesus say? They will never perish. So this second soil perishes. The people who are whose hearts are represented by the second soil, perish, they fall away, they don't enter God's rest, whatever you want to call it. Telling us, based on the qualifier Jesus uses to describe this type of belief, and on the basis of what we know about the security of the believer, not on the basis of their own works, but upon Christ's, this person, this person is a person who never truly believed. James chapter 2 also describes, also gives examples of faith that aren't the real deal. James chapter 2, he talks about a, a dead faith in James chapter 2, verse 17. He talks about a simple intellectual faith in James chapter 2, verse 19. There are deficient forms of faith, counterfeit forms of faith. And these counterfeit, temporary, dead ex- types of faith aren't the biblical faith trust in Christ that lead to salvation. For those of you who have endured a dating relationship in junior high, elementary school, high school, college, you know that there are real types of love and fake types of love, right? And you can be very sincere as a uh, fifth grader boy. I just, I a little girl has a, a crush on this little boy. I love that little boy so much, right? And it looks, in their minds, like the real deal. And yet, as time goes on, it reveals, hey, my understanding of what love was was, was so rudimentary. As we become believers and grow in our faith and understand what real biblical love looks like, we understand the depths of what true love is. The same is true of faith. Oftentimes, we have a rudimentary understanding of what faith and belief looks like what we see in scripture is that faith is not a temporary thing. A faith is not a casual thing. It's not merely an intellectual thing. It's placing our trust in Jesus Christ. You say, well, Daniel, the characteristics of this, of this second soil look a lot like me, or they look a lot like my child, or they look a lot like my friend, or they look a lot like my parents. How do I, how do I know for sure? How do I know for sure whether or not this is true of me? Well, this is what Jesus says, and I believe this is the central point of what we're saying this morning. Times of trial and testing reveal the true nature of our faith. Times of trial and persecution and testing reveal the true nature of our faith. And your continued trust in Jesus Christ in times of trial reveal the genuine nature of your faith. In times of trial and testing and persecution, your continued trust in God, faith in Christ, during those times, reveal the genuine nature of your faith. Let's get to some application here. Some application of these great truths. Application number one. Don't confuse a positive response to the gospel with a salvation experience. Don't confuse a positive response 
to the gospel with a genuine salvation experience. Don't confuse an emotional response with genuine conversion. Whenever Whitney and I went on our first date, we went to a, a little park and we uh, threw the frisbee around and had a little little outing at a park. Aww. Um, that's your cue. We had a great time. Had a great time. But I was very nervous about this relationship. When we got in the car and I, I, I leaned over to her, or I didn't lean over, <laughs> I looked at her and I said, hot in here to you guys too? <laughs> I looked at her <laughs> from far on the other side of the car and I said, so, so uh, do you want to do this again or, eh? I mean, honestly thinking she probably had a terrible time and uh, she, she doesn't want to do this. I just want to get it over with. I don't want to be rejected later on the phone. And she said, no, I'd like to do this again. Now, there was a positive response to our dating experience. She said, I, I had a good time. Now, what if I had taken that positive response and said, I guess we're getting married. She really likes me. She, she loves me. And the next day, I'm talking about our kids and where we're going to, someday, someday, Whitney, will get married and move to Illinois. Um, now, how ridiculous would, would that have been? She'd just given a positive response to, to, to hanging out together. Very often, we confuse positive responses to the gospel message with genuine conversion. Our children like Awana. Our, our children like Vacation Bible School. They must be genuine believers. They don't yell when we pray together. They, they must be Christians. Or uh, we think about ourselves. I like going to church. I like reading my Bible. I, I like hearing messages about heaven. And we think those positive responses mean that we've had a genuine salvation experience, that we've truly placed our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and that's simply not the case. Now, having a positive response to the gospel is obviously very important, but don't confuse emotions with conversion. Emotions are very important. Remember two or three weeks, two weeks ago, we looked at the sinful woman who responded with amazing emotional responses. She saw Jesus, she was weeping, she was crying, she was at his feet. There should, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and there's no emotional response you've had to the gospel message, there's a problem, right? Imagine if you saved my life and I said, eh, thanks, and there was no sort of emotional feeling, there'd be an issue there. There should be an emotional response to the gospel, but don't confuse emotions with conversion. One of the first things that someone... Uh, came to me with a concern about our church when we first started the church was our uh, lack of an altar call. They said, look, I, I know you guys came from a Baptist church, and you're going to become part of a, the Baptist association, and why don't you have an altar call every week? Why don't every week you give people the, the chance to respond to the message and, and visibly come down to the front? I said, look, I, I don't have a problem with altar calls. I've never done them all that well, um, but my concern with altar calls sometimes, when they're not done right, not done well, is they become an emotional response instead of a genuine conversion experience. They're responding to an emotion, a feeling of guilt, a feeling of pressure. I want to, in fact, I inter interviewed an intern one time, and I was asking her about her testimony. She said, well, I was at a conference one time. I was at a, a, a um, what do you call them, rally, a uh, uh, revival. <laughs> I was at a revival, and they asked people, if you wanted to become a Christian, to stand up. And I stood up, so I became a Christian. Okay? And she said, and I cry, and there's an emotional re response. 
whenever I was in youth group, we went to these, these big conferences sometimes. I remember going to a conference one time, and the conference speaker was trying to get the kids to come forward, and he said, uh, now I've been told, there's a rumor that, it's a big coliseum, I've been told that Madonna is here with us this morning. And Madonna, if you're here, I want you to place your faith in Jesus Christ as well. And, and kids, I want you to, to pray for her. I want you to begin to come forward too. And I just thought, you have got to be kidding me. Oftentimes, these rallies, these, these altar calls become this emotional response as opposed to understanding the gospel and what it means to be converted, placing our trust not in ourselves, not in our own works, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't confuse an emotional response on your own part. Don't confuse a, a positive statement about Jesus by your boss or by your co-workers. Don't, don't confuse those things with a genuine understanding of the gospel and genuine trust in the person of Jesus Christ. That is an incredibly important message for those of us who are concerned about our own souls, the souls of our family members, our parents, our siblings, those of us who are, con who are concerned with the salvation of our children making sure that our children just haven't had a positive response to truths about Christ, but they've actually placed their trust and faith in him alone. So, the first, the first application here is don't confuse a positive response to the gospel with a genuine salvation experience. Secondly, secondly, don't, or do, be alarmed by a lack of spiritual growth. Be alarmed by a lack of spiritual growth in your life. John chapter 15, Jesus tells us something that should be true in the life of the believer. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, not bear, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you look at the moment at which you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you begin to profess to be a Christian, or Let's say you can't remember a specific moment, but if you look over the course of your life and you can't see any growth in godliness, you can't see any growth in holiness, you don't have a greater sensitivity to sin, there's no greater desire for God's word, there's no greater desire to be with God's people, there's no growth in your life. If you can't see any spiritual growth over the course of your, what you would consider your, your Christian life, that should, that should alarm you. That should be gravely concerning. This person that's part of the second soil never grows. It's when a time of testing, they, they wither away. The genuine believer has a desire to continue to grow in Christ. Now again, as I said earlier, we're not talking about just moments of disobedience. We're not talking about momentary decisions to not obey God. We're not even talking about sometimes a very long process of not obeying God. What we're talking about is if, if you have a life that's characterized by disobedience to God and no desire to turn from that, no desire to grow in your walk with the Lord, no desire to, to grow in, in holiness, you have no confidence. You have no basis for confidence before God. 
So, don't confuse a positive response to the gospel with genuine conversion. Be alarmed as you, as you see no spiritual growth in your life. In fact, I recommend a book uh, called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health by Don Whitney. Great book to look through. It asks 10 questions that help us as we think about where we are in our growth in the Lord. And then thirdly, third application here, third application, rejoice as trials demonstrate the genuine nature of your faith. Rejoice as trials demonstrate the genuine nature of your faith. Turn with me to 1 Peter, if you would. After Hebrews and James, kind of more towards the end of your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, this is what Peter says as he talks about persecutions and suffering and trial. He says this in verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In the context of 1 Peter, we know that he's talking about persecution as well. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rejoice at the trials that you're undergoing. Why? Because as you go through these trials and you persevere in following after Jesus Christ, there's great comfort that takes place as you realize this faith is the real deal. As I'm going through this time of testing and persecution, my reliance on Christ is increasing. That reveals to me that my faith is genuine. Last weekend, I was at a conference on orphan care, and I, I taught a small breakout session on uh, the, the, the uh, what was it called? The, uh, caring for the orphan is gloriously painful. Caring for the orphan is gloriously painful. And there were some people who came into that little small group out, uh, breakout session, some people in that group that were just, as they walked in the room, they were just literally hunched over. And they were going through some terrible times of, of suffering as they sought to care for some foster children. One couple in particular was just um, at, at their wit's end. And what we did is we just went through 2 Corinthians and talked about how suffering is not something to be avoided. Persecution is not to be something avoided, but suffering and persecution and trials are tools in the hands of a loving God that uses those trials to strengthen our faith in him and our proclamation to the world. And the couple, as they thought through those passages in 2 Corinthians, as God used this truth in 1 Peter, they walked out of that room rejoicing, it was like, a, as we talked, it was like, as we went to God's word, it was like weights were falling off their shoulders, and they were smiling, and they were nodding in agreement with God's word. Trials demonstrate the genuine nature of your faith. This morning, we're thinking of the persecuted church. Whenever you talk to someone who's in a, a, a persecuted country, very often, they'll, they'll, as you ask how you can pray for them, or these organizations will come up with prayer requests that you're supposed to pray for them, they'll say, don't pray that the suffering stops. Isn't that remarkable? They'll say, don't pray that our suffering ceases. Pray that we would continue to be faithful in the midst of that persecution. 
Why is that? Because as they go through those times of suffering, the rejoicing as the genuineness of their faith is demonstrated, and they're seeing God in his glory use their suffering to further proclaim his name. And they're finding that Jesus Christ is that pearl of great price, that hidden treasure in a field. And as they're coming into contact with Jesus Christ, they're realizing that he is worth more than all. And it's a lesson they would not have learned apart from suffering and trial and persecution. Whenever we laid sod out in our yard, some of it was was laid on on top of some uh, old cement. We didn't know that, and we began watering the sod, and the sod rejoiced with the water. It was so happy to get water, and it began to grow, and people told us, my, what a lovely front lawn you have. But you know what happened, right? That sod was never able to develop roots in the soil because there was that cement underneath it. And as time went on, eventually that sod began during a time of testing and the sun scorching it to just wither away, and now it's just this dead lump in our yard. If you're a young person who's professed faith in Jesus Christ, there's going to be a day of testing. And our goal isn't to remove ourselves from that time of testing. Our goal is to say, God, thank you for this time of testing. And as I'm choosing between following after my friends or following after you, I'm choosing you. And I'm rejoicing because this is showing that my faith is this, a genuine faith. It's not this, this temporary ascent to truths about you. It's the real deal. As we're in the workplace, as we're in the workplace, and we see what our employer wants us to do in order to be successful in the company. And we look at what God wants us to do with our lives, and we encounter that that pressure, that persecution to to live in a way that's different from how Jesus would have us live. We say, you know what? I I want this job. I want to do a good work for my employer. I want to work as unto the Lord. But working unto the Lord means working as unto the Lord. And so if whenever it comes into conflict with what Jesus wants me to do, I'm not going to do what my employer wants me to do. As my parents want me to live in a different way than what God has called me to do. As my siblings, as my friends, as the people around me desire me to to choose between them and God, I'm going to choose Jesus Christ because my faith is genuine. My faith is sincere. May we not have hearts that are represented by this rocky soil. We have hearts that are represented by the good soil. Hearts that receive God's word with great joy and bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, again, we think as we come to this passage of the persecuted church, and we rejoice that the trials are demonstrating the genuine nature of of the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world, and we pray that we too would be faithful in times of testing. We pray this not for our own glory, but for yours. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.